Okay, good evening. First off, a very special thank you to the Imiak Mishpacha for sponsoring tonight's shir. Uh, they are doing so in honor of the yard site of their father and grandfather, Gershon ben Chachki. His neshama should have an aliyah, and the family should only continue, should only have continued nachas and simcha from the children and the grandchildren, Bezras Hashem. Amen. I remember when I was probably about eight or nine years old, I was sitting in Hebrew school. Never good memories in the Hebrew school. And uh, I was sitting in back, not paying that much attention, but I raised my hand. I was curious. I asked the teacher, do we as Jews believe in life after death? And the answer was, Noah, that's not a Jewish thing. You know, in other religions, they focus on the world to come. We don't believe in that. We believe in the here and now. Needless to say, it was not a cheder. It was not a religious Hebrew school. But that was my first impression, my first education regarding the question of whether or not we believe in life after death. The topic of tonight's shir is, I don't believe in life after death. We'll have to explore how this is actually a Jewish hashkafa, if understood the right way. Death is not something we enjoy speaking about. We try to avoid it. Often we pretend it doesn't really exist until we're faced and we're confronted with it. It's an awkward subject that we try as hard as we can to push aside so it shouldn't poison the, the joy of, of the moment. However, inevitably, being human and being mortal, it's something we have to face. And if we embrace it with the proper direction of Hashkafa Satora, it could be something that's extremely empowering. We have the famous Posik, Shmartem es chukosai ves mishpatai yaso sama odem v'chai behem ani Hashem. You should do the mitzvos, v'chai behem, and you should live by the mitzvos, I am Hashem. So we know the Gemara in Sanhedrin and the Gemara in Yuma tells us that from this posseg of v'chai behem we derive a very important halacha. Namely, if you have the choice to be mekayim a mitzvah, or try to stay away from doing an Avera. However, it could be a potential risk to your life. The Torah is telling us, V'chai bahem, you have a mitzvah to protect yourself. You're not allowed to try to do the mitzvah if it will endanger your life. You're not allowed to try to stay away from the Avera if it's Sekhanas Nefashos. This is the Klal Gadol B'Torah, V'chai bahem, V'lo Shiyomus bahem. Now clearly, if the Gemara is deriving this halacha from this phrase of v'chai behem, is the Gemara assuming that v'chai behem is talking about you should stay alive in this world? Or is the Gemara assuming v'chai behem is speaking about the next world? You should live in the next world. What would you say? This world. V'chai behem, v'loshiyomus behem. So clearly in the Gemara's perspective, this Pesach is talking about here and now. 
Don't give up your life. Don't endanger your life. We know there are three exceptions and potentially more. But generally speaking, don't endanger your life to fulfill a mitzvah. B'chai behem, stay alive here and now. However, you take a look at Rashi, and you take a look as well at Targum Unkelis, and they both have a different understanding, a different interpretation of what V'chai Behem is referring to. Rashi tells us, V'chai Behem lo'olam haba. The Torah is saying you should do the mitzvos, you should guard them carefully, in order that you should live through them in the next world. Rashi says, how do I know it's referring to the next world? Quoting from Chazal, Because if you were to suggest that the Torah is speaking about this world, eventually you're going to die. Meaning that Rashi seems to be saying, when the Torah says, do the mitzvos v'chai behem, it must be telling us, that through this lifestyle of doing mitzvos, you're going to live in the next world. It can't be referring to this world because, how could you say v'chai? Eventually, we're all mortal. We're going to die at some point. And Unkelis has the same interpretation. So it's somewhat strange. We have the Gemara laying down a very fundamental, important halacha, working with the assumption that the Torah is saying, stay alive in this world, life as we know it. And yet we have Rashi and we have Unkelis telling us that V'chai Behem isn't talking about here and now. It's not referring to being alive here. But V'chai Behem is talking about Olam Haba. The way that Rav Shimshin, Shimon Schwab formulates the question he says, although we find many different places where you have different levels of interpretation, you have the Gemara, and then you have Rishonim, but in this particular example, it's somewhat confusing. He says, How do we have these two different drashos, these two interpretations, coming from the same phrase, that Lechora, it seems like they're really speaking about two opposite ideas. One is life in this world, one is life in that world. How do we have the Gemara deriving something and Rashi and Unkelis deriving something and it seems to be really the exact opposite direction? That's the question I'd like to explore. I'd like to also just look quickly the very beginning of death. We know that in Gan Eden, Adam and Chava were given the clear instructions that don't eat from the tree of knowledge. Because the day that you choose to eat from it, on that day you will die. You will surely die. This is the first mention of death we have in the Torah. So everyone's bothered by the question, did that end up actually happening? Adam and Chava did eat from the tree. Did they end up dying? Yes. Did they die on that day? No. They lived hundreds of years later. So the classic approach, 
and the Ramban and the Rebbein Bahaya suggest this, that when Hashem is telling Odom and Chava, if you choose to eat from the Eitz that on that day you will surely die, it doesn't mean you're actually going to drop dead, but rather, or bed mavis. When you eat from the Eitz Hadas, at that point in time, you will become mortal. You will now be subject to death. That's how the Ramban and the Rabbeinu Bechai explained the Pasuk. But I think, if we could find the Pashib Shad, if there's someone who could explain to us the simple meaning, how was it actually true that on the day that Odom and Chava ate from the Eitz Hadas, they actually did die, that would be helpful. So two things we'd like to explore. One is, how does Rashi and Unkelis derive one idea from Vachai Behem speaking about the next world that can't be talking about this world, and the Gemara is assuming the exact opposite. How does that work out? And the second issue is, can we find a more simple, Pashid Pshat understanding of Adam and Chava actually dying on some level when they ate from the Eitz In order to do this, I'd like to speak more about death. Who's excited? All right. you, <laughs> I happen to like death. I, it's, a, it's a good topic. Now, in order to speak about death, we also have to speak about life. Because if we don't have a basic conceptual framework of what life is, it's going to be very difficult to figure out what death is. Let's start with the Ar Yisrael. The Yisrael Salanter. This is in Egeris uh, Zion, the seventh letter in the Or Yisrael. He takes an idea that we find in the Zohar and many other places, where he describes the guf, the body, as a malbush, as an article of clothing. V'koach ha'odem ha'margeshes noam v'tsar. But the real power of the human being that is in tune with noam, with pleasantness, with beauty, or with pain and anguish, or with one's watch dropping on a tile floor and not knowing whether or not it still works. It's that identity that's alive even once the clothing is removed. He elaborates upon this idea in a different letter, Egeris Vav. Where he says, I don't know exactly what to call the person. He doesn't even seem to feel comfortable using the word neshama because we know Kabbalistically there are many different words out there and there's a nefesh and a ruach and a neshama. Yisrael Salanter says, Thank you. Ein biadeinu lechanoso we don't really have a term to, to identify the, the person. Rak Anochi. The only word that I feel comfortable using, says Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, is the Anochi, the I. Anochi Halazah, this I, myself, who am medaber, I'm the one who speaks, I'm the one who thinks. 
And this definitely ties into what we spoke about a while ago in the Torah's Chaim series. Not to bring back memories, but the, the identity of the, the observer. Right? I'm not necessarily the thoughts that fly through my mind or the feelings that I have, but I'm something even broader behind that. That's the Enochi. It's this Enochi who mischave bechomer hagufani. It's hidden or it's concealed within the physicality of the body, of the malbush, of the clothing. Asher bihisbatel kochosov that when the gufani, when the body loses its strength, hi hamisa, that's what we call death. Ha'anochi halezehu od b'chayuso v'kochosov. The anochi, the I, the identity, the person, the observer, is still b'chayuso, is still alive. I'm just as alive now as I was before. The kochos hanefesh, the power of the neshama, is no different. It hasn't diminished. If anything, and this is really explained by Rabbi Itzala. Rabbi Itzala was one of the three main disciples of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. When he elaborates on this hashkafa, he says, if anything, the only thing that changes at that point of Misa is ki oso ha'odim ba'atzmo, that person himself is no longer confined to the goof. The neshama is no longer limited. It's no longer stifled. We no longer have all of those limitations we had before. But the chiyus of the anochi, right, the consciousness of the I, is still just as conscious, if not more, in its expanded form than it was when it was concealed and hidden within the body. That's step number one in understanding life and therefore understanding death. Life is something that it's really intangible. Rabbi Yisrael Salanta has a hard time even giving it a name. But we'll call it the I, the consciousness, the observer. And this presence is here, first concealed and hidden within the body. And only then, when there's a Misa, then it's no longer trapped. But it's just as alive as it was before. To expand on this description, in Kabbalistic literature, and the Ruach Chaim, Chaim Velazhin speaks about this, he says that the body is sometimes referred to as the na'al, as a shoe. Right? What's the analogy between the body and a shoe? So Chaim Velazhin explains that the etzim hanefesh shorsho ha'elyon, the real, the essence of the neshama, its shorish, its root, is something, is somewhere way above and beyond anything that we see or feel in this world. Shisham ikr modra neshama, the neshama really dwells in a place way outside of this reality. Rak mishtal shel mimenu baguf. It's just that you have this shelshelis, you have this rope where the neshama comes down, metaphorically, into this finite physical world, makes some level of contact with the body. 
And the goof, therefore, serves as the na'al, as the shoe of the neshama. Because just like the shoe doesn't cover and protect and surround the entire person, so the goof, the body, doesn't cover and surround the entire neshama. The shoe only takes up about this much of the human being and the vast majority of me, I'm towering above the shoe. It could be if you have like the Kyrie Sevens, the high tops, you know, as my son does. It could be you're not towering above the shoe, but you're still slightly above the top of the high top. Same thing is true with the neshama. Now he uses a word here when he describes this, obviously something we can't really picture. This is in the bottom of page two. The Iker, the essence of the Enochi, right? The main part of who I really am. I'm not even here. I'm not even here. But what's happening is I'm traveling down light years through all of these different myriads of worlds to have some slight connection in Olam Hazeh. That's an amazing image. Right? It's something we can't really picture, but to at least broaden our horizons. When I think about who I am, when I look at the person sitting across from me, it could potentially be a very different level of appreciation. What I'm seeing is the shoe. I'm seeing just this, this, this physical covering of this microscopic aspect of who you really are. But if I were to, you know, so to speak, put on 3D glasses where I could see past the shoe and actually have a glimpse of the entire essence of the human being, we'd be blown away. I wouldn't be able to speak with you. I'd be, I'd be so taken, I'd be so in reverence of the majestic nature of who you are. That's what life is. To conclude this segment, right, to have the description of the maral in mind, the maral paints a beautiful picture. Working with Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, working with Rav Chaim Velazhin, the maral quotes the Pasuk, Adam eats hasada. The human being is like a tree in the field. Eats hasada. Now a tree, the way that we see them usually, is that we're seeing part of the tree, even if it's a massive oak. And underground, we know the roots can go really deep, but we don't see the roots. If theoretically you were to make the ground invisible and you could see all of that, that nourishment, all of that growth that's taking place underneath the soil, we would have a very different picture of what a tree looks like. It could very well be that the majority of this tree is, is over there. It's underneath me. It's not on top of me. Says the Maral, Adam et hasada means that the human being is almost like a backwards tree. Right? We're the trunk. The roots, though, instead of going into the ground, into Olam Hazeh, the roots of the human being, the neshama, expand and extend upwards into the olamos elyonim into heights that we can't even imagine. Adam who ate Asada. So is it correct to say that I don't believe in life after death? The answer is yes. 
Because oftentimes, I think we make the mistake when we say the phrase life after death, we're almost picturing something else, a different life. It's not really me. It's my soul. It's that glowing ball that's going out of my body. There might be some connection. What Rabbi Yisrael Salanter is teaching us, what Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer is teaching us, and, 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 the, and the Ruachayim and the Maral, is that the me, the Enochi, who's alive and well now, that same identity, that same presence, that same consciousness continues. That life continues without any disruption, without any friction. It's just now allowed to expand. It's no longer limited. So it's not life after death as if there's a different form of life. It's the same me who is here. Well, la'achar me'eva will be there. So if the life that we're thinking of is something different or separate than ourselves, that doesn't exist after we die. We exist after we die. The famous Marshall, which is also an A.B. Rothenberg song, right, of the twins in the womb debating whether or not there's life outside of mommy, is such a pristine Marshall because... Just like the child is alive inside mommy, although its way of functioning and, and, and getting nutrition is very different, and when the child comes outside taches avir ha'olam and starts to actually breathe in oxygen, it's a whole different way of, of being alive. But it's the same person. You were inside mommy, now you're outside of mommy. That's how we view the transition from chayim to mavis. Mavis doesn't change me, it, change my, it changes my surroundings. Helen Keller said that death is no more than passing from, from one room into the other. But there's a difference for me, you know, because in that other room, I shall be able to see. And the truth is they do have stories, right? There are many, there are millions of stories of near-death experiences, and all stories we know, you can't utilize the scientific method through hearing someone's own experience. However, it is a very interesting um, area to research. And there have been cases documented where someone who has been blind for many years will begin to tell what they saw in the operating room, right? So it might not be only Helen Keller who will be able to see when she goes into the other room. But before Helen Keller, the Orachaim says this exact same marshal. The Pasuk in, in Re'eh says, Banim atem l'ashem You are children to Hashem, and therefore, lo go to do. Don't hurt yourselves when somebody passes away. Don't mourn excessively to the point where you're cutting yourself. What's this connection between believing and appreciating that we're children to Hashem and at the same time, or therefore, don't hurt yourself although you're mourning for the loss of a loved one? says, 
When somebody passes away, there's no real aveda, there's no loss to the person who passes away. Rather, the analogy would be, a father sends his child away to a different city on a business trip, and he's there for a while, and eventually he calls him back. When the son leaves the city, so the son is still the same person he was before. He traveled from Atlanta to Chicago. He was in Chicago for a month or so, and then he went back to Atlanta. His father called him home. The loss of the son is not anything to do with the son. It's just he's changing places. There's a transition of location. But he's still here. He's still alive and well. Concludes the Orachayim. Likely, it's better for the son to now be home with his father, Shehum Bekorachayim, who's the source of life. So the Orachayim is saying this idea explicitly. The way we view death is pretty much a transition of place, not a transformation of my identity. So what does it mean that biyom achalcha mimenu most tamus? The day that you eat from the tree, you will surely die. They didn't die. So Shamshan Rafal Hirsch in number nine has the following suggestion, and I think based on what we've seen, we can have a deeper understanding of this. He says it's possible that the, that the decree of most tamus was actually carried out immediately. They did die. For we do find elsewhere as well that banishment from home takes the place of and is imposed in lieu of the death penalty. One example is that of Cain. He was banished instead of being killed. The other example is when one kills Bishogig, accidentally he's sent to Ir Miklat. Banishment from home is death on a reduced scale. It depends if you're a teenager and you really want to get out of the house, it might not be as bad. But conceptually, death itself is not a termination of existence. Death is not a termination of existence, but only a termination of existence here. And so banishment from Gan Eden, from paradise, may have been death in a milder form. When the Pasuk says that Adam and Chava were banished from Gan Eden, what was actually taking place? They were leaving this location, they were leaving one reality, and they were now pushed into a different reality. They were leaving the womb of their mother and now going out into the harsh realities of the world. But that says of Shamshun Fol Hirsch, that might have been a kium, that might have been a fulfillment of the death penalty, because that's what death is, conceptually, that's what death is. It's not a termination of existence, it's a termination of existence here. So we started off with the question of Shimon Schwab, 
how do we have Rashi and Unculus going in one direction, Vachai Behem is talking about the next world, that's life after death. And the Gemara is assuming that Vachai Behem is teaching us we have to maintain life in this world. Those are two separate ideas. The answer is they're not two separate ideas. In the wording of Rav Shimon Schwab, the question itself was batos. It was based on a mistake. The premise was flawed. Ein bein olam hazel olam haba, olam bilti gufani. The only difference between life here and life there is exactly that. One is here and one is there, but I'm the same person. Once there's that transition of Misa, we no longer have limitations of the goof. Then he tells a story. Shimon Schwab says that when I was a young boy, I had a, an encounter with the Chafetz Chaim that I'll never forget. The Chafetz Chaim was sitting across from me and he asked me the question, what does one have in mind when they get called up for an aliyah and they say in the bracha, v'chaye olam nata b'sochenu, that eternal life you have implanted within us. So Shrab writes, I was too afraid to say anything or even try to answer the Chafetz Chaim, so I just sat there waiting for him to answer his own question. And instead, he asked me another question. Chafetz Chaim turned to little Shimon and asked him the question, where will you be 500 years from now? And again, he didn't answer. So the Chafetz Chaim answered himself, and he said in Yiddish, Mitin Eibishter, Mitin Rebona Shalolam. You're going to be with Hashem. You're going to be with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. And he went on to ask of Shimon Schwab, where are you going to be 5,000 years from now? Mitin Rebona Shalolam. You're going to be with Hashem. Where are you going to be 5 million years from now? Mitin Rebona Shalolam. You're going to be with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. And he explains, that's what we have in mind. When we say the bracha, you've implanted eternal life within us, meaning right now in Olam Hazer, which is fleeting and finite. But the chiyus, the nitzchiyus, is within us right now. That eternal life you've implanted within us. The same Anochi, the same I that's alive and conscious here in this world will be alive and conscious in that world as well. A transition of place, not a transition of identity. Now, who cares? Right? Interesting question. This is a nice idea, philosophically, conceptually. What does that do for us right here in Olam Hazeh? So I think it, it could be transformative in, in everything we do. Because we find two expressions throughout Shas. We find one expression of, one has a portion in the world to come. And we find a different expression where one's given the title of Ben Olam Haba, which literally means, you are the son of Olam Haba. What's the difference between having a portion in the world or to the world to come in contrast to being a ben olam haba? So the great Rav Shach 
also quotes from the Chafetz Chaim who said that a Ben Olam Haba is not talking about the fact that you will merit to be in the world to come. Call Yisrael Yesh Lehem Chelech Lolam Haba. But a Ben Olam Haba means it's describing who you are right here and now. If we're able to live with this awareness that I am something that's so above and beyond this world, I'm a Neshama Tahora. I, the Enochi, transcend this world. Most of me is not even here. It puts everything into a different perspective. It puts life, it puts mitzvos. It brings the reality of eternity into mind because it's not some vague concept of some little ball of, of glowing light moving out and going to the next world. It's me. It's you. Then we become a Ben Olam Haba. It's a different existence even in this world. But it also has the ability to totally transform relationships. If being alive means, by definition, I'm alive forever, and you're alive forever, so then that means the relationship that we have is not limited to this room, to this world. The relationship that we have, the love, the connection, is there for forever as well. We actually see this was the main or one of the main motivations why Rus wanted to convert so badly to Judaism. When she's trying to follow Nami and Nami's trying to persuade her not to come, the line that Rus says to Nami is, I want to follow you. I want to die where you die and be buried where you're buried. Because death separates between me and you. What did Rus mean? So the Malbim explains that she was, she was sharing her real bakasha, her real request to want to be Megayer. She was saying, I know that we have this beautiful relationship now. But I also know that, that there's a difference in the neshama. There's a difference in the chius. There's a difference in the identity. It's true that when we're alive, I'm clinging to you. Even though we come from different backgrounds and we're a different religion, but nonetheless, we're able to have this relationship. But my fear is, after death, we'll be separated. Because you're going to be connected with a different level of chius. You're going to be with Devekis with Hashem. And I'm afraid I'm not going to be there with you. Therefore, I want to convert. Because then I know with certainty, even when we die, that will not serve as a separation. I want to be with you forever. So having this mindset, having this perspective of the Enochi, of death not changing me, not changing you, just a change in location temporarily, 
But just like you're alive and I'm alive forever, the relationship has a kiyum forever. That's a whole different love. That's a whole different sense of responsibility of wanting to make sure we make this work. And I'm pouring in everything I have to my child, everything that I have to my spouse. Because this is not a temporary thing. We're going to have a connection Be'ezrus Hashem forever. Right? In the Jewish wedding ceremony, the phrase, till death do us part. At what point in the Kedushan or Nesuwan do we say that? We don't. For what reason? Because it's Sheker Muchalat. Because we don't believe in death being any separation whatsoever. So I don't believe in life after death. I believe in a Kadosh Baruch Hu. We believe in one life. And we therefore have to live as B'nai Olam Haba, even in Olam Hazah. Shkoyach.